Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. To hear someone tell you about sort of an adventure in their life and, and uh, do this one which is like less than a month old, uh, it, very inspiring. It sort of helps you sort of realise that sometimes the uh, constraints that we put upon our own lives, those sort of boundaries that we put upon what we think we could do, what we think is really possible, are actually often things that we've just placed upon ourselves. That we can put expectations that go beyond those boundaries. And, uh, and when we begin to challenge those, that's when the adventure really begins. And so we've been doing a number of weeks on the uh, Adventure Starts Here series, and it seems sort of a, quite a good point in the series to, to talk about the, the, that sort of the aspect of in, uh, the adventure, which is the point at which you kind of have to endure. You see, when you're on a journey, when you're on an adventure, uh, you just can't go on just tirelessly. You, after a while, after part of the journey, after part of uh, your voyage, there comes a point where you just get a little bit tired down. You get a little bit worn down. Uh, you begin to feel a little bit weak. You begin to stumble. And, and that's really why you need those, you need those foods. You, know, you need food. If you look at those, uh, those, those athletes, those super athletes, they don't just, they don't just get by on, on, on crackers and, uh, and breadsticks. You know, they have superfoods. They have foods that, that really sort of build them up, that, that enable them to maximize their potential, that enable them to go forth and do more uh, than what they thought they would be able to do. It's so essential that we have the right foods within us that, that, that will enable us to stop us getting weak or, or be able to counter those effects uh, of weakness. It, food provides like a physical motivation to continue. Does everyone know what I mean? Yeah. That physical motivation. You've had something to eat, now I'm ready to go. Uh, last summer, uh, I, was, uh, I was offshore. I was offshore uh, on a vessel uh, and I was off the coast, the west coast of Ireland in the Atlantic and we went in and out of this uh, little port called Killybegs. Killybegs is it's like a fishing village but it's, it's quite a big village and it's quite uh, a prosperous village because it's a, it's a fishing centre so there's quite a big port and there's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, fishing vessels that kind of come in and you know the one or two uh, you know, oil get, uh, vessels like, like my one and we had come in and it was the middle of summer, and it was a gorgeous day, and we got into port, and somehow somebody on the vessel had found out that there was a 5K, uh, a 5K run. I don't think you can call it a marathon, but a 5K run. And uh, it's, they were like, oh, we should totally do that. We should totally do that. Now, I had no interest in doing it whatsoever. I really I didn't want to. When you're kind of offshore, and we were offshore for ages because uh, we had to fix some problems while we were out there, and, and you kind of get into a routine, and you get a little bit... You find a certain amount of comfort in the routine because you control your routine to a degree, and you know so much of your life, every waking moment is kind of belongs to somebody else. Those little bits of time that you can carve out for yourself are quite important. They kind of keep you sane. And after six or seven weeks, you really need to keep sane. Uh, but we we got out there, and the guys were sort of saying, "Oh no, we should do it." And I got up every morning and, and would go for a run. So and they would sometimes see me in there. Most of these guys were like super fit. I thought that like, I'd go out and, and work with the, sort of the, the, the oil and gas guys and it'd be like sort of uh, smoking and, and, and you know, just sort of carrying on. But these guys were like super athletes. Uh, they really were like very healthy. And so, oh, come on, James, come on, let's go and do it. And I was like, okay, fair enough. So we finished our shift and they're like, well, we have to go straight away. And I was like, what? We're not going to get to eat. And 
you know, you do a 12-hour shift, you want to eat, you don't, but then after you eat, you don't really want to run. So it was a fair point. So we, we got on our jogging stuff, we walked down to the starting line, and we, we stood at the starting line uh, after we'd registered, and the man who was sort of organising, and it was the entire village, I think it was like their sort of gala week, and the entire village was out, there was kids out, there was old people out, there were some of the people from the running club out, uh, and everyone was just standing there. It wasn't like, you know, brilliantly... It was just quite informal. It was, it was a fun run, basically. And the guy who was organizing it, or, or sort of uh, telling us what to do, he started giving us the course instructions. But I didn't have a clue what he said, because he was talking in Ireland. And he was sort of like, hibbity shibbity shibbity hibbity hibbity shibbity shibbity hibbity And I, I, so don't worry, it's not offensive. Everyone's laughing. Uh, <laughs> but he was sort of, he was, he was speaking, and, and most of us, uh, us Brits were like, well, we don't have a good clue what he just said there. So we figured, well, look, we're not, probably not going to be at the front, so we'll just follow everybody else. And so the starter pistol went off, and we all started to run. And obviously, because there was a little bit of competitive juices going, we went way faster than we probably should have started. Started running and get about, I mean, we're, we're going round, and you can see, you know, it kind of carved in and out, went through the village and went around the port, and it was really nice, it was really picturesque. Uh, and you could sort of, just saw all the different sort of people running. It was always a little bit disheartening when you were overtaken by like nine-year-old children and things like that. But I figured they probably hadn't worked all day, so it was okay. Uh, but I, I wanted to finish well. I, I, you know, I had a certain amount of uh, pride. I, I, I didn't want to be like the last one. I wanted to be within sort of uh, a decent sort of, you know, standing. Uh, but two of my colleagues, actually, two of the guys who were on the vest with me, came second and third. And we're only beaten by, like, the, the town sort of professional who, who was always going to win anyway. And these guys, like, don't even run properly. So they were, it tells you how fit they were. Uh, anyway, we kind of are getting around, and I can see that we're beginning to sort of head back to the starting point. And I think to myself, this is, I sort of have this idea in my head that, and these are probably very vain thoughts that maybe some of you might relate to, but you think to yourself, I have the ability to push myself at the end. You know, other people will be tired at the end and they'll probably slow down. I'm going to run faster at the end. I'm just going to leave it all uh, out there. So we kind of get to him. We're going up the hill and uh, I can see this sort of the school where we'd start. So that's why I start putting the burners on. I start putting the burners on, start going a little bit faster, getting a little bit faster. I see one of my, uh, see the shift supervisor. Well, oh, I won't stand over here. Uh, I see the shift supervisor who's, uh, who's very fit, but he's sort of almost 60, and I, but he is very fit. He doesn't look 60 at all. But I'm thinking, if I can reel that one in and I can beat him, then that'll be pretty good. So I'm running, I'm right behind him, and, and, and just as I'm about, I'm about a metre behind him, and I have really nothing left, I start seeing the guys who are at the front coming back down the hill. And I think to myself, those guys were miles ahead of me. What are they still doing running? And it occurred to me that the ending for the race wasn't where we started. That in actual fact, we were going to go up this hill. And at that exact same moment, I saw a marker that said 3K marker. I'd only done 3,000 or 3 kilometers of a 5-kilometer race, and I had absolutely expended everything within me. And I'm going up a hill, and I'm running. And I just, my heart just sank. And I see uh, my shift supervisor just keeping keep on at, at the same pace, just move further and further away and I am I have nothing less I, I am just gassed out I have this sense of just wanting to quit just wanting to stop but, but that sort of drive within me just wouldn't quite let me uh, you would see other people kind of walking but I didn't want to walk because I feel like that's cheating so I'm running but I mean I'm running so slow I'm almost going backwards and I have these sort of people 
beginning to pass me and they're saying horrible things to me like, oh, come on, come on, you can keep doing it, keep on doing it. And I'm like, ah, oh, don't even talk to me. I don't want your shame. I don't want your pity. <laughs> just leave me alone. And I'm, I'm, I'm so tired and so exhausted. And I feel just, you know, if you ever had a stitch, you had a stitch in both sides. I had a stitch everywhere over my entire body. My body was stitching. Uh, and it was horrible. And I finally get to the top of the hill. And that's sort of like at the 4K mark. And there's one kilometer left, but it looked like it was all downhill. And I start running. And, and as I'm going downhill, I just, it just sort of releases in me a little bit. I, I feel like I can do it. I feel like I can, I've overcome the worst. And I'm letting that sort of gravity just sort of take me down the hill. And I'm getting a little bit faster. I still feel terrible. But, but I am sort of beginning to move again. And, I, and just as we're kind of getting to the, the sort of final couple of hundred meters, I see this, I see this guy who's uh, he's wearing like a fire brigade. Stuff. I, I must have been running for uh, one of the local fire brigades. And he's walking. And he's walking. He's doing that move. Any of you guys who've run, you'll know this. He does that move where he'll walk a bit, then run a bit, then walk a bit, then run a bit. That, I hate that. There's no, I can't stand when people run, then walk. Run, then walk. That's cheating. That's cheating. In my mind, that's cheating. So he's, he's running and and walking, and I'm kind of coming close to him. Just as I'm about to pass him, he starts to run again. Oh, oh, it's like that, is it? Oh, it's it's on, buddy. It's on. And so I start. I'm, I'm making this. I'm exhausted, and we getting. I, I keep just just behind him, just maybe a little bit out of his eyesight, so he doesn't know that I'm there. And I'm starting to run behind him, and we get to about 50 meters. I can see the I can see the finishing line, and everyone's there, and everyone's cheering. Don't run too soon. Don't run too soon. And just stay behind him. Get to about 20 meters. Just stay close. Stay close. Put yourself in position. 10 meters. Ready to pounce. Ready to pounce. Five meters. And I just put the burners on. I leave it all out there. And just as we're passing the finishing line, I pass him. And look around at him like, gotcha, buddy. Gotcha. <laughs> now, the great thing is this, that I would have thought probably most circumstances that that guy might be a bit hacked off and want to punch me in the face. But considering I went and stood with a bunch of huge riggers, I felt that might kind of dissuade him from such responses. And they were like, James, you're a lunatic. You look like you were going to fall over when you were running there. And I think I was, but I didn't care. I wanted to finish the race well. And, and what kind of excited me about that experience, what, a, what was really awesome was the fact that I was able to push through. Uh, I was able to actually find a hidden reserve of energy because I so wanted to quit. I so wanted to walk. I so wanted, it was hot. I felt terrible and I just wanted to walk. But I found within me this, this reserve of energy, this, this hidden strength, and I was able to push myself. But I would have never found that reserve. I would never have found that extra energy if I had not pushed myself to the absolute limit. I would never have known that I had the capacity to run the last few meters, to really pelt the last couple of meters if I'd never kind of run the previous five kilometers, if I'd never kind of taken myself to the very limit. I needed to push myself to the limit in order to find that I had that within me. That, and, and that's the thing about weakness. Weakness is not just sort of a state that we have. We, somebody can just sit there and you can, be, you can be frail, you can be lazy, and you can just sit there and just be that. But to be weak, it actually requires you to have engaged in some sort of opportunity Opposition. You, you need to have been up against something. You, you need to have pushed yourself in order to find your limits. You know, weakness is not something, you're not a state of weakness. You, you find yourself, you, you arrive at weakness. Now, you might arrive there very quickly. You know, it might be that uh, it might not take very much for you to feel that weakness in your muscles, to feel that weakness in your resolve, but you still have to have done something. You still have to have engaged in an activity of some nature. 
The Bible tells us, God promises, that, that in those moments of weakness, that he will give us the strength that we need. And it says in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 to 10, and this is God says to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Famous verse, uplifting verse, inspiring verse. I sometimes think that we maybe interpret it as, I am so weak, he has to be strong. I am so weak that he has to be strong. That's not what he says. He says, it it talks about when you are in those moments of of turmoil, those moments of of, of trying, that, that in those moments when your weakness is exposed, that is when God brings the strength. That is when God comes in and, 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 and just pours strength into our life, pours resolve into our lives. See, our lives go through seasons where we experience kind of drag. We're dragged down. We're, we're the sort of the, the friction of circumstances dissipates the sort of the momentum that our journey has. You know how it is. You'll, you'll be just flying and then, and then some sort of, you'll pass through a circumstance. You'll pass through some sort of situation and you just feel that it's dragged you down a little bit. You feel the friction of that pull you down and just dissipate whatever momentum that your journey had. And we, we, often, we often recognize that because we feel it in our, sort of, in our flesh, in our soul. We have like this soulish response where we just, that weakness just makes us want to quit. We just want to quit. We want to give up. We want to walk away. We want to try something new. And you see, in those moments, even though we might feel it sort of physically, we might feel it sort of emotionally, God, when he says he gives us strength, he doesn't enhance our physical strength. That, that, that's not, I mean, unless your name's Samson, he doesn't come along and enhance your physical strength. What he does is he, he comes along and he enlarges the capacity of our spirit. Our spirit man just becomes bigger, becomes equal to the task. That is how God makes us strength. He addresses the condition of our spirit. He, uh, through those circumstances may shift. It's the, it's the attitude of our heart that produces the desired outcome. You see, God might move circumstances. He might change circumstances that would allow us to walk through. But if our heart has not been changed, if our spirit has not been enlarged, then we will not recognize that God has done that. And, and that's where our faith has to be engaged with the journey, has to be engaged with the pursuit. In Jeremiah 29, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. See, faith remains engaged with that pursuit. It remains engaged when it is nourished by hope. Hope is the nourishment for our faith. It's the nourishment for our spirit. It's the sustenance that we require. It it lifts the spirits and it ignites our resolve. It reignites our resolve. It lets us know that we are able to do that. We might have pushed to the very limits of what we thought were possible. We've endured all that we thought that we could endure. That our stamina has reached its limit. But when hope is ignited within us, that resolve just boom, it just explodes, it gets bigger again, and we realize that there is, we are not on our own, that there is, there is some power at work within us that is going to propel us into that, 
into the fulfillment of that journey. Uh, I, uh, when I was younger, my dad used to take uh, me and my brothers uh, hill walking a lot, mountaineering. My dad is a very accomplished mountaineer. He, uh, uh, when I was quite young, we went on a day trip and we all went to climb with his mountaineering club, uh, his last Munro, which was pretty cool because there's like hundreds of them and he, he, had, he had sort of climbed them all. And so he was very accomplished. He would take us out on these walks and I wonder sometimes what he thought about them because he was used to just sort of going and, and walking alone. And it's actually quite funny because while thinking about this, I felt like a lot of the traits that he had, uh, all the characteristics he possessed as being this sort of keen mountaineer also could probably be attributed like to a serial killer. Uh, he, you know, he really enjoyed isolation. He was very outdoorsy. He was very adept with an ice axe. You know, <laughs> it's something a bit worrying. I don't think he certainly never killed any of us when we were out there. Uh, but we had an, he would take us on these walks, and I remember this one time, and uh, we were walking around this this. There was this valley that we walked up, and we kind of got to the top of this valley. There was a lock. It was a beautiful lock, and it was surrounded on all sides by these mountains. And they didn't look that high, and, but we were quite small. And so we camped the night there, and then the next morning we got up and we were going to walk around those mountains. And we, we got to the first one and we started to make our way up. And we could see the top, me and my, uh, me and my two brothers. And we were like, oh, look, the top's over there. It's there already. This is going to be a piece of cake. And so we, we ran up to the top. And just as we got to the peak, we saw that beyond it, there was another peak. It's like, oh, that's a pain. And so, oh, well, okay, we'll just keep walking, keep walking. Oh, we're almost there. Run up again. Just as we're about to get there, out of the mist comes another peak. Okay, fair enough. We did this, I believe it was something like seven or eight times. And by the seventh or eighth time, we're getting to the, well, well, who knows if this is going to be the top or not. And my dad just sort of smiled the whole time because clearly this was something that he was quite familiar with. He he recognized this. But we were, we we actually uh, called the mountain Stumpy which we thought was quite funny, called the mountain Stumpy. It was the, the mountain that would never stop. It was the mountain with many tops. And that can sometimes be a bit like what our journey is like, a bit like what our adventure is like, that we think that we're almost there. And just as we think we're almost there, the, the top, the fulfillment of that, just sort of moves a little bit further away. And the more that we press, the more it kind of gets away. And, and it's, it's that strain on our ambition that causes us to feel weak. You know, it causes us to just feel a little bit tired. It feel a little bit sort of worn down. It says the more that we're trying to get to somewhere, the more that we have a vision or a hope or a dream on the inside of us, somewhere we're trying to get to, trying to get to a prize at the end of this sort of trail. But the closer we get to it, the further it seems to move away. And that that strain upon our ambition is is often what makes us just feel weak and feel like, what is the point? Why do we want to do this? Uh, the, the Bible sort of confirms this sort of uh, this, this, this action or this, this mentality in Proverbs 13 verse 12, where it says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. See, see disappointment saps our energy. Anyone ever been disappointed? Anyone ever felt, knows what it feels like to be disappointed? You feel just de-energized. You feel like all the energy has been taken out of you, particularly if you felt the end was so close. If you felt like the conclusion was there, you just, it, it, it pulls you down. You see, a sick heart, it, it, it wavers the commitment to the journey. That, that, that commitment that we have uh, when heading towards a prize and it keeps getting further away, it 
causes us to question what the purpose of the endeavor is in the first place. So it makes us wonder what we're doing here. And so I have a question for you this morning. It's, it's if that happens, if, if when we're pursuing something, when we're, we're heading for a prize, what, what, is, what is it that we head for? What is it that we hope in? What is we hope for? What are the hopes of our lives? See, are you, are you pursuing abundance? Abundance is a thing that it talks about in the Bible. And is abundance what we are pursuing? Are we looking for, for great provision? Not, not to be greedy, not to, uh, not to show off, just to have abundance. Is, is maybe your pursuit to chase after love. You want to have love. You see all these, you see 50% of the world's population being someone that you might quite fancy. And that's what you're chasing after. Is it, is it possible that you're even, you've set your, set your goal just on health? Just, just you feel like your health is, has deteriorated and, and, and that has become your focus. That has become your pursuit. I want us to, to look at those pursuits, to think about the pursuits of our heart, the hopes and dreams that we have within us and ask ourselves, who set those prizes? Who set those goals? Who set those aspirations? The reality is that in most of those occasions, in all of those occasions, it is us that set those goals. It's us that set them. It's us that has decided that that is the prize, that is the hope, that is the dream upon our lives. Amen? That's right, isn't it? See, have you ever considered, have you ever considered that God might not be with you on that pursuit? Or rather still, that rather than bless your journey, that he might actually be blocking it. Don't stone me yet. Don't stone me yet. Have you ever considered that? Have you ever thought that as, as that dream gets further away, that it isn't that God can't help you, it's that he isn't helping you. So we often see God as being there to achieve our goals, to, to help us to fulfill our destiny, the destiny that we have decided upon our lives. And then we become frustrated when that conclusion never gets any closer. What if today we maybe flip that mindset and considered that possibly we are partaking in the fulfillment of God's goal. See, there's an example in the Bible where Paul, the Apostle Paul, he, he wrestled with this because he was repeatedly thwarted as he tried to journey into Asia. It says in Acts 16, verse 4 to 10, And as they went, and as, uh, as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep uh, which were determined by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Now, when they had gone through uh, a place that I can't pronounce and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come by uh, Mycenae, they tried to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, Come, come to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. What if we considered that the prize is not something that we define, but it's actually something that God has defined for us. See, God is the one who prescribes 
the focus of our hope. Hope is not directionless. Hope is not just for all things. But God has a purpose of hope. And this, is, this, this may be our adventure. This might be our journey. But it is sponsored. It is sponsored. God is involved in it. God is our sponsor on this journey. God is our sponsor on this adventure. The resources that we receive and that we hope for are designed to sustain that pursuit. It says in Romans 5 verse 1 to 6, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produce perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which was given to us. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. See, Jesus, Jesus is the facilitator of our fulfillment. He is the broker of hopes and dreams. He, our hope depends on him to bring resolution. He, he hopes, our hope rests on him. He is the counterbalance to our desires. If, uh, if you imagine for me for a minute that uh, there was a seesaw sitting underneath an apple tree and I am sitting on this seesaw and there's an apple tree up there and see the apple is the prize that I look for this is a bit like a stress position honestly this is something else and I see that up there and I'm sitting on this seesaw and I look at the other end of that seesaw and it's all the way up there and I know that if I sat on that end I could reach up and I could touch that prize I could touch an apple so I get off and I come round, and it falls down. But that end's now up. Great, that was the end I was in the first place. I like that end anymore. So I go back over here, boom, falls back down. And so I sit here. I can't get up into the tree by sitting on this seesaw, but I know that it's so close. I know that there is leverage that could get me up there. Neil, could you come up here? You look a bit like Jesus. <laughs> All right. So, I appreciate that. No, <laughs> neither does he. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, if you could uh, get on the other end, please. What are you doing? The end's all the way over there. <laughs> right. Now, if you could get on, please. All right, pull it down, pull it down. Hang on. Whoa! <laughs> Just stay there. So... This is me able to hold on. This is me able to grab onto what I am. I'm now lifted in the air. But in order for me to be lifted into the air, it requires someone else to humble themselves, to bring themselves low, to be able to sit on the other end and to raise me aloft to, uh, to be able to grab hold of whatever hope is upon uh, above me. You can uh, go back. Round of applause for Jesus. See, he, he bought us hope for salvation with his sacrifice. He is our agent of hope. His humility is what allows us to reach forth and capture the prize. In 1 Peter, verse 1, verse 3, uh, 1, Peter 1, verse 3 to 4, it says, Praise be 
to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. But but you see, Jesus is the facilitator of our hope. But that's actually only the beginning of the journey. It's the first milestone. See, the great, the great truth, the great re, uh, revelation comes in the fact that Jesus, in Jesus, we have hope for salvation. But we are the vessels of God's hope to bring salvation to the world. See, we are born anew to be a living hope. We are born anew to be a living hope, a living hope to the world. I was talking to Laura just earlier, and she told me something really interesting, something I never heard before. She said that God has called us to do three things while we're here on earth. Those three things are to speak with him, to worship him, and to win the lost. And when we go to heaven, we will speak with him and we will worship him. But there will be no lost because we're in heaven. See, there is a, there is a purpose, there is a focus, there is a, a plan that God has that is completely necessary for us to be a part of, for us to partake in, for us to see the fulfillment of it. And that is winning the lost. That is, that is where salvation finds its fulfillment. That's where it finds its completeness. A hope established in Christ requires humility from us to substitute our dream for his. This is, I think my final scripture. It says in Hebrews 10 verse 32 to 39. But recall the former days in which, after we were, uh, you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the, plunders of your, uh, the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourself in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which was great reward, for you, need, uh, for, uh, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition but of those who believe to the saving of a soul. When we prioritize, when we make our hope about more than just the things that immediately affect us, when we prioritize those things, when we prioritize the lost, when we prioritize the people whose, whose souls are not determined, have not been won, have not been uh, made right with God, then once we prioritize that, then we become the recipients of God's promise. When we put the kingdom's goals before our own, it actually guarantees that our natural needs are taken care of. It, it follows that once we put the kingdom first, that everything else is added to us. It is, the, it is actually the pure expression of faith in that we lay down our own dreams in order to realize them. In order to realize the dreams and, 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 and the personal desires on the inside, we lay those things down, we place those things at the altar, and in doing so, we receive the fulfillment of them. 
but not by them being the focus. See, there is one hope. That hope is all-encompassing. It's far-reaching. It's eternal. It is the adventure that unfolds anew every day. It represents a future with endless possibilities. If you think about your life, if you think about your life as an adventure and the people within it, their, their, their eternal salvation as being the goal, of being the prize, of being the uh, purpose for which you were created, the purpose of which you received salvation. You see life as being one that can never be dreary, that can never be repetitive, because it changes every single day, because there are lives all around us that are in desperate need of salvation. See, in our own salvation, we, we find that ingredient that resolves the conflict within us. Whatever that conflict is, by knowing Jesus, that is resolved. It is that, it is that special ingredient. It's a relationship that brings harmony to our very being. And in turn, the power of salvation reaches fulfillment when the testimony of our lives produces faith in others. When it produces that faith that brings them into the completion of salvation. It resolves, the resolve to pursue that end places a burden upon our spirit and, it's, and, and, and causes us to sort of feel weak. Hope in salvation re-energizes us to continue that pursuit. Re-energizes us. That is the hope. That is the hope that God has placed within us. A hope for salvation. A hope that finds fulfillment in the winning of a soul. Of a bringing of a soul into the house. Of introducing them to Christ. Letting them receive the fullness of what Christ has done for them. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website www junctionchurch.com. God bless.